This is day 236 of our daily Bible reading. We are going to read three books of the Bible today. We're going to read 2 John, 3 John, and Jude, with each one being one chapter. Lord God, as we enter into your word this morning, please guide us into the truth. We know, Lord, that these are very short chapters, but we know that there is so much wisdom in here, and that you have allowed these to enter into your Bible for a reason. Lord, help us to explore this deeply today, that we may have some form of application for our lives and an increase of knowledge and wisdom of who you are and what you want from us. Lord, please be with us in the days to come. Please remind us, Lord, that you seek our good, but ultimately, Lord, you seek your own glory. And we, by extension, should be glorifying you in our hearts and our minds. Please help us to put these attitudes and this wisdom into action for your kingdom. Please bless the reading of this word in Jesus' name. Amen. The Elder to the Chosen Lady and Her Children, Whom I Love in Truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace Mercy and peace will be with us, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face, so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. The Elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, 
and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore we ought to support such men, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren, either, and he forbids those who desire to do so, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh, and reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. 
But these men revile the things which they do not understand. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, In the last time there will be mockers, following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now, and forever. Amen. And just like that, we completed three books of the Bible today. Very, very short ones, but very powerful ones as well. There should be no question as to why these are input into the Bible, why God has chosen these to be divinely inspired, because they align with the rest of Scripture, and they give us some very important things to consider. Now we can tell by the writing style of 2nd and 3rd John that it is the same John that wrote 1st John and the Gospel of John. But what's interesting about these two letters is that he does not identify himself by name. He calls himself the Elder. Now, at this time, John was in Ephesus, and he wrote this letter from Ephesus. And so he's writing to a chosen lady. 
Now the thing is, is by the way that this is structured in the Greek, it's hard to tell if this lady is an actual person or if it's a church. You know, because sometimes we attribute a particular organization or a particular group as a masculine or feminine noun. But in this case, by the way that it is structured and the kind of things that he's talking about in here, my personal opinion is that he's referring to a church. He's referring to a body of believers somewhere. We don't really know where, it doesn't say where, but this is, in my opinion, speaking about a body of believers. Because, like, if you look at verse 4, it says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. It could be very much this woman's children, literally, that are obeying God. But when you go further in, it seems to be more toward a group of people. Like it says in verse 5, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Are we talking about a woman needs to love one another with John? Or is he talking about something bigger? And verse 6 is a very important verse for us. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is a reminder of what Jesus said, isn't it? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is the action demonstrated that you're proving that you love God. Not just saying it, but you're proving it. You're demonstrating that you love God. And then he says, this is the commandment, that you have heard it from the beginning and that you should walk in it. He's saying it like this because, look, this is the commandment. This is something that you already know, but I'm reminding you. This has always been the commandment, and it's never going to change. So you need to walk in it. You need to pursue it. You need to actively be doing that very thing. Loving God by demonstrating your love to him. Obey his commandments all the time, everywhere. Now, in verse 7, he begins pointing out a caution toward false teachers. And we know that they are everywhere. Even in this time period 2,000 years ago, there were still a lot of false teachers. So what it's talking about here in the Greek is we need to watch out for those that deny Christ came in the flesh. This is a past tense in the Greek, referring to the first time he came, his incarnation as the Son of God before he died on the cross. If people say that he did not come in the flesh, that he was not a real man, flesh and bone, then that's wrong. The Bible affirms that he is indeed a man. He is not a spirit in the form of a man. He is not anything more than being fully human and yet fully God at the same time. That is the mystery of the incarnation, and that cannot be compromised. Or a lot of his redemptive acts mean nothing. If he really did not die for your sins, then you're still in your sins. If he did not physically die, then a lot of what you believe is pointless. We would have little hope 
if that were the case. So we cannot deny that he was in the flesh. The one who does that is the deceiver, Satan, and the Antichrist, the one that is for Satan. We are told in verse 8 to watch ourselves, that we do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. What he's saying is that most likely you have demonstrated fruit in your efforts, and you have done a lot of good things in the name of Christ. Don't stop the momentum. Don't stop the locomotion of doing good things, of being obedient to God's word. Don't lose it. Stay on track. And why? So that we may have a full reward, meaning that we will receive praise at the judgment instead of condemnation. That's what we need to have. That's what we need to pursue, because if we truly believe that we can store up treasures for ourselves in heaven by being obedient to God's word and by putting him first, then that should naturally come out of us. So that is what God is wanting us to do. Then he gives some final warnings as to watch out for certain false teachers, and then he concludes his letter. And again, very short letter here. The other reason why I think that this is also addressed to a particular church is verse 13. The children of your chosen sister greet you. It's either another Christian woman that they know between each other, or it's talking about a group of believers that have allied with each other or have cooperated with each other in a single effort. There are some churches that support or pledge loyalty or pledge support to a particular body, and that might be what's talking about here. Personally, that's what I think, but I could be wrong. And that's Second John. Now, Third John is addressed to a person named Gaius. So what John is talking to Gaius about is the problem with traveling teachers. When you have a traveling minister, there's nothing wrong with that, but they need to be treated in a proper way. And what we see here is there is a man named Diotrephes, who is a leader of some sort of church, and he is not doing that. He is fighting everything that these traveling teachers are trying to do. And so he's obviously having some either some territorial issues, he's on some kind of a power trip, or he's out for himself to exalt himself above God. Something is going on with this guy. And so when Gaius and others are traveling around trying to share the gospel and to equip saints, this man is resisting it, and he's leading people astray. He says very clearly here that people like him need to be removed from the church. We need to cut the cancer out of churches. And then he reminds us in verse 11 that we are not to imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God, or rather does not know him. So there you go. I mean, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? The one who does good things is of God. The one who does evil does not know God. Pretty straightforward. And that pretty much sums up 3 John. And now we have the book of Jude 
And this one is a powerhouse of a letter. There is so much in here, and I find this one personally fascinating because there's so many interesting things here that you don't see anywhere else. So at the very beginning, Jude identifies himself as being a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. This James is the one who wrote the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. So that makes Jude one of the other brothers of Jesus Christ. In one of the gospel accounts, it mentions four names of brothers, and one of them is Judas. So perhaps he goes by Jude now instead of Judas, perhaps because he didn't want to be affiliated with the other Judas who betrayed Jesus. I don't know. But he goes by Jude, even though his birth name is Judas. So he mentions here that the purpose of his letter is to defend the faith against all the evil things that are trying to counter it. And especially one of the big things that was coming out in those days was called Gnosticism. This was a very big thing because the Gnostics believe that everything material is evil. Everything in the physical world is evil, and everything spiritual is good. So there's unfortunately this movement going on at the time, and it's still going on today, where people were cultivating their spiritual lives, and they allowed their flesh to do whatever it wanted. And with the result that they were being guilty of all kinds of lawlessness. So he makes this known that this is an incorrect understanding of Scripture, and that these people are creeping in everywhere unnoticed, and that they will eventually make themselves known. And what they are doing is completely contrary to the Word of God. Gnosticism is an evil movement. So what does he tell us to do? First thing he does is that false teachers are going to expose themselves. And whether they do or not, they are destined for destruction. Just like we see in verses 5 through 7. That angels who did not obey God were thrown into hell. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. And in the same way, these people are also destined for the same kind of destruction. A punishment of eternal fire. Now it mentions that they were doing the same things as the other ones were. They indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. What does that mean, strange flesh? Well, usually this is attributed to things like transgenderism, homosexuality, things that are not of God's natural order. Especially when it comes to sexual morality, the only way that you can have sexual morality is intercourse between a married man and woman a husband and wife that have taken the covenant of marriage. That is the only acceptable means of sexual morality. Anything beyond that is immorality, and it is a perversion. That is strange flesh. And then, in verses 8 through 10, he denounces these people. He calls them out as being false. And perhaps strangest of all, he uses something that we don't see anywhere else in Scripture, and it's very interesting when you think about it. Verse 9, Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment 
but said, the Lord rebuke you. This is fascinating because this is one of the only times in the Bible we see the archangel Michael mentioned here. But secondly is, there is an apocryphal book called The Assumption of Moses. So if you recall, at the end of Deuteronomy, when Moses died, God buried him. And he did that on purpose, because if somehow Satan got a hold of the body, there was a chance that he could bring him back to life somehow, or rather was able to manipulate the body in such a way to show that he is the Messiah. And so it seems like that is the case, and that's why God buried Moses himself, and where nobody knows where he's buried, not even Satan. So I find that fascinating that there was a dispute, there was an argument in the spiritual world between Michael the archangel, who is the patron angel over the nation of Israel, and Satan. Instead of making accusations on his own, he respected the authority of God, and he said that the Lord would rebuke Satan. He does this to contrast what these false teachers are doing. These false teachers do not have that respect for their God. We have to be careful what we understand from this, because it's not saying that the assumption of Moses is a gospel account, meaning it is not a, an inspired book. What it is saying is that that particular portion of it was true. And so even if that's the only part of it that was true, that's still very cool to think about because we don't see that anywhere else in Scripture. And so it really makes you wonder, how did he know about this? Was there something that was being passed on through oral tradition that was teaching this? Or was this something the Holy Spirit revealed to him? Was there a book floating around called The Assumption of Moses? I don't really know. But I think it's very interesting how they were able to know these things from thousands of years later, and be able to describe it with things that we don't know today. I don't know. It's just Some of this knowledge and stuff has just been lost in time, and I'm always very interested and curious about these kinds of things. I know it doesn't really matter in the long run. I know that the Bible is the only authority that matters, but it's still cool to think about these other things, too. Then in verse 11, he starts describing what these men are like. And he compares them with Cain, and he compares them with Balaam. And we have actually seen that fairly recently as to why Cain was condemned and why Balaam was condemned. Then he gives more descriptive language as to what kind of people they're like, such as clouds without water carried along by winds. You know, they appear all lofty and, and exalted, but yet they're empty inside, right? Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead and uprooted. You know, they look like they could be a source of wisdom and spiritual truth, but they're really just rotten to the core. Wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, letting it bubble to the surface for everyone to see. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness 
has been reserved forever. They may have their moment in the spotlight. They may have their fame and fortune for a time. But they will be called to judgment, and they will have a particular destination that we do not want to go to. Are they beyond repentance? No. But will most of them not repent? That seems to be the case. Then we go to verse 14, and verse 14 is fascinating as well, because it mentions Enoch. Now, Enoch was the one that never died. He was the one that went straight to heaven when he walked with God. Now, in the book of Genesis, it never mentions anything he ever says. But yet Jude is saying that this particular piece is something that Enoch actually said. And again, it makes you wonder, how did they know what he actually said? If the people of the Jewish community followed the Torah, right, the the first five books of the Bible, none of it mentions anything Enoch said. So how do they know what Enoch actually said? I find it very interesting how they knew this. Again, he is attributing something from the book of Enoch, which was an apocryphal book floating around that they claimed was written by the Enoch. But it's not. It is a false book. It is fake. And there's so many things about it that are wrong and nowhere else in Scripture. And so, again, what he's saying is this particular statement is true. The book of Enoch is not all true, but this is. And so he gives a a long prophecy here that is very interesting. And then in verse 17, he changes gears a little bit, and he starts giving instructions to the believers of how to combat these people, how to hold fast to their faith, and what to look out for. Because he says here that in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. So he's giving the compare and contrast again. This is what the world looks like. This is what you need to look like. This is the path the world is following. This is the path outlined for you. Stay in the love of God, and you'll be able to fight this. And then in verse 22, he shows us that we can make a difference, and what we do does matter. Have mercy on some who are doubting. There will be some people who doubt. There's nothing wrong with doubting, as long as you don't draw a false conclusion. If you do the proper research in the Word of God and you eliminate the doubts, then you're okay. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. So, Witnessing, right? Calling people out who are living a sinful life. People that we would call brothers that have backslidden. We need to make sure we hold each other accountable and lift each other up. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So what he's talking about here is have mercy on people, but at the same time, be careful not to Allow yourself to be contaminated by their superstitions, by their sinfulness, by their fear. Don't allow yourself to give in to what they're feeling. Because you know that you're secure in Christ, and you know the truth, and you're trying to show them the truth. 
let your words affect them. Don't let them affect you. And then he ends the letter with probably one of the best benedictions in the entire New Testament. What he is claiming here is that God is the Savior of the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, God is still the Savior, but now is manifest through the person of Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is the book of Jude. We only have one book left, the book of Revelation. I look forward to starting that with you tomorrow. But until then, thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.